0: Rebuke us where we need rebuking, Lord, to, to sharpen us where we need sharpened, O oh God. And Lord, to encourage us where we feel faint in heart. Lord, will you do these things and much more as we move forward. Father, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you think of the word blessed, what comes to your mind? When you think of the word blessed, what comes to your mind? I actually asked this question on social media, so any who participated, you got to be part of sermon prep this week. We're often, when we hear this word blessed, though, we... We think of it as we're blessed because we have provisions. We have a roof over our head. We have a family that we love and care for, that we are blessed because of these things. We are blessed because we have the perfect picture that we're able to capture and put on Instagram and hashtag blessed with a Bible laid out and a cup of coffee. We laugh, but this is true. This is how we think of the word blessed and what it means to be blessed. Well, let me ask a question. What happens when those things we say are why we are blessed are stripped away? What happens when all of these begin to fade? Because we follow a king who declares our utmost allegiance. And as we follow him, the world says, I do not like it. And now I'm going to come against you and against your king. And persecution and suffering comes. What then? If our blessings are rooted in the temporary, we will not endure in Christ. This is what we as disciples need. This is what Jesus does here as we continue our study of Matthew this morning. He turns the world upside down in showing us what it truly means to be blessed, to be blessed in Christ. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and open up to Matthew 5. Uh, Verses 1 through 10. While you're turning there, um, you can find it there in the Red Pew Bibles on page 962. But as we've been going through our study of Matthew, in the first four chapters, we have seen Jesus being presented to us. Jesus as the one who is the son of Abraham, the son of David. We have seen Jesus being presented as the one who has come to take away the sin of the world. That he has come to save people from their sins. We have seen that God has preserved him, that God has called him... uh, the one who is faithful to fulfill all righteousness, the blessed son, the, the son that God's heart truly delights in. There at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4, we see Jesus stand the temptation and trials of the enemy. We see all of these things. But if you've noticed, all of these so far in Matthew's gospel have been what is called a historical narrative sense. They've been written in a way to to let us know history, to let us know who this Jesus is and and about him. It's all been written in a way to, to inform us. But this morning, Matthew's gospel begins to shift gears. It turns away from this idea of just a historical narrative of reading a history portion to a didactic, a teaching discourse. We come this morning to the greatest sermon ever told in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus now, as Matthew writes, is recording Jesus' teaching, and it's more pointed than narrative. It's more pointed in specifics of what is being called of us. There's imperatives that are commands, instructions, do this to be my disciple. Do this or this is what being a disciple of mine means. This is what it looks like to pray or to not be a hypocrite. This is what it looks like to ensure that you're not one of those told, depart from me. I never knew you. That's all in the sermon here. But as it begins, it starts with these Beatitudes of Matthew 5, 1 through 10. These beatitudes that begin to really begin to teach us what it means to truly be blessed in Christ as we look to the kingdom of heaven so that we may stand even if we lose everything of this world. We need to hear the true blessedness of Christ. So let's hear from Jesus in his words to us in Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning from Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Here's what I understand the main idea here of Matthew 5, 1 through 10 to be, and if I'm doing this whole preaching thing rightly, taking the main point in the text and making the main point in the sermon, here it is. Oops, apparently I did not copy that. So sorry, it is not on the screen. It is here though. True followers of Jesus are strengthened not by earthly blessings, but by being blessed in the hope that awaits them in the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Let me repeat that. True followers of Jesus are strengthened not by earthly blessings, but being blessed in the hope that awaits them in the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that one more time since I forgot to put it on the screen. True followers of Jesus are strengthened not by earthly blessings, but by being blessed in the hope that awaits them in the coming of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to unfold this in three points. Point one, the ascent. Point two, the beatitudes. And point three, the hope. Just to help you give a heads up of where we're going in these handlebars. Point one is looking at verses one and two of the ascent up the mountain. Point three is looking at the Beatitudes and in, in unfolding them. What do they mean? What in the world is this even talking about? But the second half of the Beatitudes are, are all grounded in hope. That's actually, we're going to come back to that and rerun through all eight of these Beatitudes. In our third point, looking at the hope and what is being promised for those that are blessed. Why they're being called blessed. So let's dive in. Beginning in point one, the ascent. As we ended last week there in Matthew 4, we we read this in verses 23 through 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In the midst of seeing this, we come now here to Matthew 5, 1 and 2, which starts this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, As the crowds press in on Jesus, as the fans come and hear about his fame of healing disease, Jesus seeks not to engage the crowds, but to depart from them, to draw away, to ascend the mountain, to teach his disciples. Multiple things are happening here as we see this ascent. One, as Matthew writes, he's wanting us to to catch the picture of Moses ascending the mountain of Mount Sinai to receive the law of the Lord. Jesus now, as he ascends, is one going up for another teaching, another important teaching in the life of those that would behold God in all his glory and be his people. So that, that in one is in mind here. Jesus is the new and better Moses. He's better because he's not the one receiving the teaching as Moses did. He's the teacher of the law. He's the one who begins to explain to God's people what does it mean to be his people. What does it mean to live accordingly? Jesus is the new and better Moses. But church, we need to understand something here. Jesus did not seek fanfare. He didn't want fans. He didn't make way for the crowds to entertain them, to attract them and appeal to their wants and their needs. He withdrew so that he may teach his disciples, whether it be the four or the twelve. He withdrew to teach them what it means to be his disciples. Church, in a day and age that is all about trying to entertain as many people as we can, we must remember we are not here to entertain the crowds. We are here to teach disciples of Jesus what it means to follow Jesus Christ. The Sunday morning gathering is about disciple making, teaching all that our King commanded. It's not about entertaining in large numbers. Let us be reminded of that so that we may go and do likewise. But that brings us to this teaching in point number two, the Beat Attitudes. Verse three, or let me back up a moment. These eight beatitudes here in Matthew 5, 3 through 10, they're given to turn our eyes away from happiness and blessedness in this world. They're here to turn our eyes away from the temporary and towards the eternal, that which lasts and endures. It's to help us understand what does it mean to be followers of Jesus who are called to take up a cross and die to self day in and day out. What does it mean to do this and yet be blessed? Here, Jesus begins to teach us, to, to aid us, to help us that here is how you are truly blessed. Hold to this, be grounded in this, because everything else is going to fade in this world. Everything's going to fade as you follow me, but these will last. These will help ground you and keep you hopeful in what is to come. And it starts here as it begins to overturn this in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven again we're going to walk through these what these mean this is more teaching time to be poor in spirit is to recognize our spiritual poverty to recognize that we are poor and have nothing to afford to give to a holy god as we enter his kingdom as his kingdom draws near that we are impoverished as we stand before him To be poor in spirit is to recognize that we have fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our need, our depravity. It is to acknowledge our broken and sinful, depraved state. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. To recognize that we have nothing to offer this God. But it continues, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning builds off of this call to be blessed are the poor in spirit. It is mourning that sinful state, that brokenness, that poorness. It is mourning not just for mourning's sake, it is mourning sin. I love what Daniel Doriani says here. He says, this morning is not connected to loss of wealth or position or mere shame or misdeeds. Disciples mourn sin, their own sin, the sinfulness of friends, of family, of the church. Social sins is oppression of the weak, spiritual sins such as unbelief and ingratitude. This morning is a morning of sin. It's mourning the effects of sin. Friends, every sin Every trouble is a result of sin. That relational strife you were in the midst of, it's because of sin entering the world. That sickness, that disease that you or a loved one is facing, it's not because of their personal sin per se, but it is because of sin having entered the world. Every conflict, every struggle is a result of sin and living in a broken world where sin reigns. And those who are poor in spirit begin to mourn this. Blessed are those who mourn sin and sin's effects on the world around us. But it continues, verse six or 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. John Calvin is most helpful here. He writes, By the meek, he means persons of mild and gentle dispositions who are not easily provoked by injuries, who are not ready to take offense, but are prepared to endure anything rather than do the like actions to wicked men. Let me read that again. This is so helpful And what does it mean to be meek. By the meek, he means persons of mild and gentle dispositions who are not easily provoked by injuries, who are not ready to take offense but are prepared to endure anything rather than to do, like the, action, or do the like actions to wicked men. The meek are not those who are weak uh, despite belief. The meek are those who are strong but yet carry themselves in such a demeanor that they refuse to act sinfully towards others, showing the same sin and wrong that have been shown to them. The meek are those who turn the other cheek. The meek are those who resist conflict to the best of their ability. They are the ones who bring and make peace as best as it can depend upon them. These are those who are meek. They're not driven to sin despite what may be happening against them and coming against them. Blessed are the meek. But it continues on. 5-6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those poor in spirit, those who mourn their sin are now hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're thirsting for a righteousness not that can be produced from within, but a righteousness that comes from elsewhere. They are desiring it they are craving it and who is this who can satisfy it is he who is called the bread of life and living water it is the Lord Jesus himself a righteousness that comes from him and him alone for consider here of what other places of scripture say Matthew five twenty. For I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven Verse 48 of of Matthew 5, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus calls disciples of his to be perfect in righteousness. There is no way we can do this. We must acknowledge again that we are poor in spirit. We have nothing which to offer in order to satisfy and become righteous apart from Jesus and his righteousness. So therefore the hunger and thirsting of this righteousness is desiring that which comes from Christ. Which comes upon us in our relationship and our union with him. Also his righteous rule that comes upon the earth through the reign of his kingdom. This is the hungering and thirsting we are to long for of this kind of righteousness. A righteousness that overturns everything of sin. But it doesn't stop. It keeps going. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. To be merciful is not a one-time act of mercy, friends. It's not just simply saying, oh, yep, I one time did this and stopped to help feed the homeless, and there's my act of mercy. It's a lifestyle, a pattern of mercy, of regularly showing mercy to others despite what they may deserve. It's showing mercy to those in need because we recognize we ourselves are poor in spirit. We need another. We need that mercy. Friends, sometimes we forget when, when we're really struggling to show mercy and grace towards others. We forget how much mercy and grace God gives to us in Jesus. Not one of us deserves it. And yet, this is the same thing we're being called here to show show this mercy. To others to show it by his grace because we have tasted of his mercy we are enabled by his grace then in light as his disciples to show this kind of mercy verse 8 blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God a pure heart is important Psalm 23 verses 3 through 4 says who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul, oops, um, sorry, I lost my place here, lift up his soul uh, to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. But here lies the problem. Who of us has a pure heart? None. Again, we are those who are poor in spirit. We do not have a pure heart. We have a problem here. Therefore, we must turn to the Lord in prayer, asking for a pure heart, for him to work in us a purity of heart. Charles Spurgeon writes this, There are no pure hearts on earth unless the Lord has made them so, and none shall see God in heaven who have not been purified by grace while here below. Lord, create in me a clean heart that I may behold thee both now and forever. Therefore, brothers and sisters, as we seek to be pure in heart, we must be given to prayer. A prayer asking God, give us this purity of heart. Work in me, create in me this pureness of heart so that I may see God. It gives over and over to this prayer. But there's something else we must know that the the great 17th century Anglican J.C. Ryle points out. Brothers and sisters, let this point and cut us to the heart. He means those who do not aim merely at outward correctness, but at inward holiness. They are not satisfied with a mere external show of religion. They strive to keep a heart and conscience void of offense and to serve God with the spirit and the inner man. To be pure of heart is not merely going through the motions and the actions Christian, the purity of heart doesn't come from you just showing up on Sundays and going through the motions of seeming religious. It is about an inner heart, which we're about to get hammered with as we turn to Matthew 5, 21 through 48, in a couple weeks, of inner and true greater righteousness. It's of the heart. Let us seek to be pure in heart. But again, the beatitude here continue. Blessed are, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The blessed are those who labor to bring peace, make peace in every circumstance as best as it depends upon them. Calvin writes, by peacemakers, he means those who not only seek peace and avoid quarrels as far as lies in their power but who also labor to settle differences among others who advise all men to live at peace and take away every occasion of hatred and strife this is what it means to be peacemakers those laboring to be bring peace in every circumstance around them we see this continued in other places of scripture romans 12:18 Uh, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. James 3.18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, blessed are those who are peacemakers. Let us seek to labor to make peace as best as it depends upon us. These are the blessed. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, to be persecuted for righteousness sake means that we are identifying with the one who is righteous. We are identifying with Christ himself. And as we'll see next week in turning to verses 11 and 12, that we're also identifying with the prophets who were persecuted before us. To be persecuted for righteousness sake is because of what we proclaim and who we stand with. The king of kings and all his righteousness. Righteousness. Blessed are these who are persecuted, but let it be noted for righteousness sake, friends, there are some of you, there are some evangelicals who will cry persecution, but their persecution is not because they are righteous and being persecuted for righteousness sake. They're being persecuted and degraded and talked bad about simply because they're a jerk. They're a jerk in the way they talk about Jesus and what it means to follow him. They think themselves better than the world around them. Friends, look at the other Beatitudes. What does it teach of what is true blessedness? It is not the arrogant and the haughty who think they have it all together. Those are the ones who crucified the Savior. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, who stand, they confront sin but in a loving and compassionate and gentle way. They are those who are meek and peacemakers. They want to present the gospel. They want to be loving and kind to those that they are calling to repentance because they actually love the individual. They're persecuted despite all of this righteousness. Those are the ones who are blessed, not the jerks who just simply proclaim Jesus in a hateful manner and then wonder why they're hated by the world. They try to make themselves religious friends. Let us not be that way. But let us see here these beatitudes. Again, that's a lot of teachings. I had to cut a lot out of this sermon. But here's the thing about these eight beatitudes that we need to see. They're virtues. They're characteristics that define the people of God. These are not things that we can muster up in our own strength. We are poor in spirit. We can't muster this up. But because of being poor in spirit, we acknowledge our need. We mourn our sin. We seek in meekness to come to Jesus, not insisting on our own way, but coming and hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. And he radically transforms us into carrying these and living these virtues out. And the world will think us crazy for calling this blessed. And yet, despite it, we are blessed. These are to ground us in. Here is who is truly blessed in a day and age where everything is fading away. It's to equip us to live as true sojourners and strangers in this world to stand firmly with hope. And that's where we turn in the third point. Hope. The hope of the Beatitudes The hope of the Beatitudes is not merely here have these virtues. It's because of these things, here's what you have. Now and future. Look at how the Beatitudes end, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven heaven, friends, this is a promise not for the future, but for the right now. Those who are poor in spirit, who come and acknowledge their need in the Lord Jesus Christ because of their own poverty, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, theirs right now is the kingdom of heaven because God's rule is working in them and advancing through them. Friends, this is what comforts us that the kingdom of heaven is ours but even the rest of them as we mourn sin as we seek to be meek as we hunger and thirst notice then how it shifts here most of the rest of these beatitudes of these virtues or or ways to human flourishing they're written in what's called a future passive not as in passive aggressive it's Passive in the sense it's not done by the one describing it. Those who mourn aren't comforted by themselves. Those who hunger and thirst are not satisfied from selves. They don't bring it about. It comes to them. The action's done to them by a holy God. A God who has sent his son to us. The one who has loved us to redeem us in Christ. So let's look at these and think through these. Just the encouragement here. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 61, one. The spirit of the Lord, is upon, uh, Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bring up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus has come declaring this good news of the kingdom that all who come to him, he will take in. He will give rest. He will save. This is the promise here. He is the one who has brought the good news. He has brought good news to those poor in spirit, to those held captive by sin. Friend, this is what we have in Jesus. The richness of our salvation right now is found in him. But friend, if you are here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, I want you to hear this call. That Jesus stands inviting all who are poor in spirit, all who will acknowledge their need. This, this is the first line of a song. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. This is the invitation from Christ Himself to come. All who acknowledge their need, come to Him and believe, and be saved. But it, the hope continues. This is the hope for for those right now. But here is the future hope. Verse four: Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn their sin and the facts of sin in this world, the sickness, the illness, the strife. All of those who mourn this, they shall be comforted. They will be comforted in the moment and, and God reminding and giving grace to strengthen them in those moments. But more importantly, they will eternally be comforted. Listen to these words. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Friends, there's a day coming for you grieving sin and its effects in this world. For that will all be gone. There will be no more suffering. No more loved ones battling cancer. No more loved ones in memory problems. No more strife in relationships. All of it will be wiped away. And we will be comforted in Christ. But it continues, the hope just keeps building. Verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As already noted, the weak are not those that are low and pathetic. They are those that are strong in Christ. And yet, it's tempting for us to think that somehow the bullies are winning. Somehow those that are aggressive and, and attack and demean and destroy, that they're somehow going to be the ones who take over. And yet, hear this promise. Who is it who inherits the earth? It's not the evil. It's not the wicked. It's not the strong. It's the meek. Friends, don't think that somehow if you just become like the world, you'll gain advantage because you'll end up losing every advantage you think you have. It's the meek that inherit the earth. Verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who presently hunger and thirst for this righteousness, they will soon no longer have hunger or thirst. They will be satisfied in Christ. Again, Spurgeon here. In the world to come, the satisfaction of the man of, the man of desires will be complete. Nothing here below can fill an immortal soul. And since it is written, they shall be filled we look forward with joyful confidence to a heaven of holiness with which we shall be satisfied eternally. Friends, this is the hope we have of the coming kingdom of heaven. All are longing and desiring and thirsting for righteousness. It will be satisfied forevermore in the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The hope for those who show mercy is that... In their evidence of mercy, they have already received the mercy of Christ. But let let the hearer hear, he who has ears to hear. If there's no act of mercy, if there's no evidence of mercy in your lives, you have yet to taste the mercy of Jesus. But those who see this evidence of a transformed and merciful heart, They shall and can take confidence that they have received the mercy of Christ verse eight blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God it's the pure in heart who shall ascend that holy hill and stand and see the face of the Almighty they shall see what Moses could not look upon and live they will see that Glory of the holy God. They will stand where no light is needed because God's face shall shine and be the light. Friends, this is the hope of those that are pure in heart. They shall see God. And the temptation for us to, to go through religious motions or, and be hypocritical or, or us to, to just be content with our hearts and their sin, let this encourage us and stir us on. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who labor for peace as best they can, they are the ones who are called sons of God. Because they are like God in representing him in making that peace between sinners. How has God made peace for us? Through Christ. Through the blood of Jesus being shed. He has made peace with us for our sins and therefore those who go and do likewise who make peace are called sons of God. They have that assurance. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even when peace doesn't come our way, when suffering and persecution does, we are reminded here that blessed are the persecuted Blessed are the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Though they suffer in this temporary home, they have a far better homecoming. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope that we have. We need to be reminded of this, that in the midst of this present world, as we're called to follow Jesus, we have hope, particularly here and thinking through this. Here are the words from Revelation 6, 9 through 11 on the persecuted. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Friends, though persecution will come for those who identify with Christ, though some will be martyred and put to death. Hear those words of hope. The judge is standing. He's going to come. And in persecution and even that of death, what does it bring but rest? Rest with the one who shed his own blood to save us and redeem us. This is the hope we have of this coming kingdom. Jesus has come to overturn everything of this world. As one author wrote a book, it's the kingdom upside down. He has come to bring about this upside down kingdom in these Beatitudes to strengthen us because he knows that to follow him, it means the world will hate us. As his disciples as his followers because it first hated him but how are we to live in the midst of that how are we to actually live for this kingdom by remembering our blessedness lies not in the things of this world and the treasures of it but in what is promised and true blessing that is eternal which does not fade friends everything you were tempted to put and say I am blessed because of can be stripped away that financial uh, safety net you think you have, it can be stripped away in a moment. I pray this doesn't happen, but that family you love and call yourself blessed to have, it can be stripped away in a moment. All it takes is one event and all of this stripped away. But if we remember where our true blessedness comes as Christians, we can set our eyes not on this world and the temporary, but the eternal and give us hopefully a longing of his kingdom and its coming, and to live boldly seeking it. Christian, let's seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and live for it, remembering we are blessed in Christ, not the way the world is blessed, but eternally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, that lord as disciples of christ lord we would seek to place our happiness beyond this world and the affections of the flesh and place it on the things of the kingdom god help us to be a people who flourish as disciples of christ lord who uh recognize that it is by grace and grace only different uh